You're listening to You are listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And today we are discussing our September 2022 book club pick, You're Invited by Amanda Jayatissa, a thriller that has many, many twists and turns that I'm very excited to get into with you, Rira. And it should be a fun discussion because I just got my fourth jab. I just got my bivalent vaccine. So, um... Cannot promise that I'll be 100% throughout the duration of this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely. Uh, but we've had Amanda on our show before. Uh, we talked to her about her debut novel, My Sweet Girl, which was also a thriller. This time around, My Sweet Girl took place mostly in America with flashbacks to Sri Lanka. But most of um, Your Invited takes place in Sri Lanka. So it was a little bit of a setting change, but I digged it. I really love the setting, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, I th- I remember reading My Sweet Girl and that being kind of like a good book, but also quite a bummer of a book. And this one is like way more fun. And I mean, it's still very um, thrillery. This feel very lots of disturbing imagery. Um, I guess we do need to give a couple content warnings that we will be discussing um, things like like self harm and mental illness. Um, that's kind of core to some of the characters in this book. Um, but overall, it was paced more like a mystery, which was very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, okay, so let's get started. Um, Rira, can you start us off with the book? Description. When Amaya is invited to Kavi's over-the-top wedding in Sri Lanka, she is surprised and a little hurt to hear from her former best friend after so many years of radio silence. But when Amaya learns that the groom is her very own ex-boyfriend, she is consumed by a single thought. She must stop the wedding from happening, no matter the cost. But as the week-long wedding celebrations begin, and rumors about Amaya's past begin to swirl, she can't help but feel like she also has a target on her back. When Kavi goes missing and is presumed dead, all evidence points to Amaya. However, nothing is as it seems as Jayatusa expertly unravels that each wedding guest has their own dark secret and agenda, and Amaya may not be the only one with a plan to keep the bride from getting her happily ever after. Yeah. So um, before we get started, um, just a quick Spoiler warning, on this podcast, we do discuss all parts of the novel, including endings and twists. And um, this being a mystery novel, the twists are especially important. So uh, if you have not read this book and plan to read this book, um, hit pause and go go read it before listening to our discussion. Unless you're the type of person who likes to know the solutions to a mystery before reading it. Um, in that case, you know, you do you. I'm not going to judge or anything uh, but i think the story is definitely worth going into as cold as possible because man it takes some turns um yeah and speaking of spoilers i mean the prologue of the book starts right in the action kavi is missing and amaya's room is being searched so it starts like right <laughs> From the crime and i actually really like the opening so i'm going to read parts of it to you guys now um I woke, I woke up with bruised knuckles and blood under my fingernails, more rested than I have been in years. I guess this is who I am now, the kind of person who would finally get a good night's sleep after attacking someone else, the kind of woman who would fly halfway around the world to stop my ex-best friend from marrying my ex-boyfriend. If that's one too many exes for you, well, it certainly is for me, but I'm also the kind of woman who does whatever it takes, so here I am. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Great start. <laughs> I love that. I love that framing device. Like it definitely gives you those like that murder mystery vibe. And I remember you t- pitching this book to me as Crazy Rich Asians meets Gone Girl. But I want to add knives out to that list too. It's there's lots of like I there's definitely lots of like knives out vibes because not only is it 
a semi-murder mystery, but also class and privilege has a ton to do with the story. Yeah, 100%. And uh, this this also reminds me of The Guest List by Lucy Foley, which is also a murder novel that takes place during a lavish wedding. (laughs) So wedding thrillers is a thing, and it's a subgenre that I feel like is going to be my favorite because it's just weddings are such a great setting for murders because there's so many people first off everybody has motivations it's a stressful environment a lot of money is being spent so yeah especially rich people weddings because you know not everyone there is either happy for the bride or the bride's family or even there for the bride and bride's family like there's a lot of motivation especially with amongst rich people um and especially especially like Asian rich people. I think there's a lot of like Asian rich people vibes that are very specific to not only Sri Lankan upper class, but like post-colonial upper crust Asia upper class, right? Yeah. I mean, the difference between Asian weddings and Western weddings, I guess, I guess not so much, but I feel like Asian weddings, it's mostly for show. It's mostly the family showing off how rich they are or how, (laughs) um, it's like the merging of two families. And for weddings here in America, at least, I feel like it's more individualistic. It's more about the couple than the family. I think, yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that. But I imagine, like, I'm thinking of, like, the whole wedding industrial complex and how, like, weddings have to be Instagrammable these days. Um, oh, and yeah. And how that's, like, desirable. While the motivations may be individualistic, the underlying motivations is still showing off how awesome you are, right? How great your life is. And I kind of still feel like, especially if you're like super rich, those marriages are still very much like, like think about like celebrity marriages, right? Like a lot of them, I mean, they may have started with like heat of the moment, like attraction, but a lot of those are kind of like just business transactions between families and and wealth, right? For celebrities, I'm not so sure about that, Mm. but definitely for upper class, uh, old money families. Yeah, it is about joining families. It's about showing off. And um, yeah, but one difference between Asian weddings and Western weddings is that Asian weddings tend to run very long, (laughs) like week long wedding celebrations. It's it's a lot. Western weddings can run long, too, but they're, like, a day at most, right? Like, you have to sit through, like, a two-hour Catholic mass or something. Yeah, but, but like, with Asian weddings, it's, like, we have the traditional stuff, and then it's, like, the husband's family have to do something, the bride's family has to do something, and then you have the westernized wedding with, like, the white wedding dress, and then you have a reception, and then the after, like, the after the honeymoon party. It's <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, the wedding in this book, like um, um, Kavi's wedding to Spencer was also a lot, right? It it was definitely like one of those old money, like weddings to show off. But then you you add in Sri Lankan post-colonial culture, um, the Anglophilia, the gossiping aunties, and the conservative family values, right? It's... It was a lot. Like there was a lot of tension just from the setting and from how the society of modern Sri Lanka throughout the story. I read an interview with Amanda Jayatissa on this book, and she said the inspiration behind this book was she was actually at a Sri Lankan wedding, and it was like it wasn't like crazy rich Asian style, but it was definitely like extravagant. Mm-hmm. And she saw the bride kind of have like, you know, she she was getting mad and stressed out. But, like, as as soon as, like, someone started to, like, come up to her, like, her face went back into, like, smiling, beautiful, glowing bride mode. <laughs> she was like, wow, that was a little bit scary. <laughs> so that's where, the, that's where the inspiration came from. And you, while you're reading this book, you're like, wow, people are very, like, duplicitous. Everybody shows, like, their best side, whether it's at a wedding or on Instagram. And, you know, in Asian culture, there's a lot of saving face. 
So I yeah. thought that was like a recurring theme in the book. And I thought it was very clever. Yeah, because it's supposed to be the best day of your life. It's supposed to be a day where everyone is perfect, where you show off how awesome your life is. And so especially in a society where it's like it's very um, like for a modern society, it's also very antiquated in its norms and values like every little thing can be used against you it's like you know it's like a an old english like costume drama right where everyone's like so picky on etiquette and you know scrutinizing over every little thing and and man it's just yeah like i said um just a pressure cooker of emotions dressed up in like this perfect wedding <laughs> but yeah um so i guess to start off what were your general like what are your general thoughts about the story um like we mentioned it really did remind me of knives out not because of just like the uh commentary on classism and uh just like privilege of the upper class but also because of the different perspectives because it does jump back and forth between perspectives and also um flashbacks i would say the entire book is pretty much a flashback within a flashback (laughs) and i know that could be annoying for some people but i think amanda did a really good job uh easing you into those flashbacks and uh, i really like the police transcripts that were interspersed in the chapters because you get like little bits of what happened Because you don't actually know what the crime is. You just know that the bride is missing. So the entire time, you're just like, what happened? Why are they being interviewed? Like, what does everybody know? And slowly it gets pieced together. Um, I think the start of the mystery, it's very slow. But, like, once you get past, like, the first quarter of the book, I think it really kicks into high gear. Yeah, I mean, the bones of this book is pretty much your murder mystery. Like you have your investigator come in, interview everyone at the hotel, and things start unraveling. But uh, instead of like a cop or a detective or a private investigator, it's like a private security company, which becomes an important plot point later on too. But yeah, I agree with you that the book starts off a little slow. And not slow because there's not a lot of action, but slow because... You know, we open in the POV of Amaya, who is the Sri Lankan woman living in Los Angeles, who is kind of living in seclusion, right? She's isolated. She she has a lot going on in her head. Um, And we open up with like a BDSM scene, right? Um, Yeah, I guess so. That's that's after the prologue where her room is getting searched and uh, she's getting accused of foul play but i really liked the characterization of amaya like i loved her fixation on numbers like it has to be uh there has to be a pattern to the numbers and she like uh looks for signs and there's like a bit of um just like she's nervous all the time and it's just so palpable through the prose And with the BDSM scene, I think that was a red herring. (laughs) I think a lot of people probably thought, oh, she's into BDSM, so she definitely has violent tendencies. But BDSM is about, you know, letting go of control if you're a a subservient. So it's like, okay, she is someone who tends to want to control every aspect of her life because she is anxious. And I thought that was a good setup for her character. Yeah, I mean, that's what I got from that scene, too. Not that she's into violence, but that she needs to, like, just not think about things for a while. Not not to be have to be in control. And you kind of wonder where that comes from, right? There's obviously, like, something happened to her life that caused her to break up. Like, she alludes to, you know, having to break up with her best friend's family, having to live on her own, and having to, like, kind of just be independent and how much that's weighing down on her. And, you know, the first few chapters, Amanda Jaitissa kind of paints her as someone with a lot of issues. And, you know, throughout the story, like every single character in the story is an unreliable narrator, right? And so, you know, as that onion starts peeling, you start to realize the origins of what happened to Amaya. As a reader, you start to, you know, shift your opinions of her, and which is pretty... I think it's pretty good, like, 
thriller writing, right? To like throw you off in the beginning about this characterization before you start to realize what is the cause. Because, you know, at first when you're introduced to Maya, she's, you know, she goes on this fetish date and then she goes home and starts cyber stalking her ex-best friend. And that's how she learns about the upcoming wedding, right? And Yeah, and and I want to point out that it's not just like cyber stalking. She made multiple fake <laughs> Instagram accounts and was like writing comments under uh, Kavi's Instagram post being like, oh my God, you look gorgeous. And then in another account being like, where did you get your dress? I was like, that is a level of cyber stalking that is, um, I mean, we all cyber stalk our old high school friends, right? Like, yeah. From time to time, you'll be like, oh. But we do not engage, are, are, right? We yeah, don't. we don't engage, right? We lurk, but we don't engage. Like the most mortifying thing is when you accidentally like a post from like three months ago, right? Like, oh shit. And then like quickly undo. Hopefully they didn't get the notification, right? Um, I mean, what did you think about her character at the beginning when you like you learn about how she's cyber stalking her, her best friend? Um, so like my... Like, my first impression was, like, okay, like, Kavi did something to break this friendship. And this is just, like, an obsession that Amaya has. And as someone who also doesn't let go of grudges, I totally understood the obsession (laughs) with her former best friend. And I was like, wow, Amaya is really intense. And um, also, like, kind of dissatisfied with her life because you kind of get the setup of... She has a very, she has like a spice shop in DTLA, or I think it's DTLA, but it's like a boutique and she's doing well, but not as well as she could be doing. And the friends that she surrounds herself with, they're like oh, they're super terrible. shallow. Yeah, They're shallow. And it's like, why do I hang out with these people? Why do I go get like very expensive brunch? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. And I'm like, this is so millennial. <laughs> And I totally related to Amaya so much. And for me, I was just like, okay, this is like a revenge story of revenge against like her best friend. And that was my first impression. But then it changed very quickly once we got to the wedding. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she set up at the beginning to be kind of like a soccer friend, right? Someone who's just obsessed. And she does have like... I don't know if it's, it's not homicidal tendencies, but she does have homicidal daydreams, right? About everyone she interacts with. Yeah. And I'm sure that's supposed to like throw off the readers in terms of like, oh, she has violent tendencies and definitely has murder in her mind. But quite honestly, I also think of murder in my mind (laughs) when I'm in very, (laughs) when I'm in situations with people that I don't like and I just want to get away. Yeah. I think about murder. So I didn't think that was out of the typical, <laughs> maybe I'm a sociopath. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think it's like, like, out of all the characters in the story, I think Amaya turns out to be the least sociopathic. And you know that's a little spoiler for what's coming up. But I think everything that's like, justice for Amaya, everything she, she's probably the most pure person in this entire book because she's the only person who's probably an actual victim in the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she finds out that her best friend, her former best friend, Kavi, is getting married. Um, and then Kavi is like this very, she's um, like, she's an influencer, right? She's like a very popular influencer. Um, Who runs a charity called the Pink Sapphires, which funds uh, education for low-income uh, Sri Lankan girls. And it's like, yeah. That looks great on paper. And of course, she looks perfect on Instagram with her rose gold accents. Another millennial thing that I was like, wow. Yeah. But I was just like, there's no way. she Like, there's no way anyone is that perfect. Yeah. And then the kicker is she finds out that she got engaged to Amaya's ex-boyfriend who... Um, I don't know if you caught on to this quote, but she... Uh, mentions him as the person who broke her life into pieces, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is such a small part of the book, but that made him sus to me throughout the rest of the book, even when he's not portrayed as like a sus guy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's already sus because he's painted at the, as this like per- perfect husband-to-be, perfect boyfriend, you know, who like gifts roses and looks handsome and is able to charm 
um, like Kavi's family, which is obviously like a very big feat considering <laughs> that they're like in the top 1% of Sri Lankan uh, upper class society, plus the fact that he's white and there's already like a disadvantage <laughs> of like, oh, you need to be really impressive in order for uh, Sri Lankan parents or Asian parents to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we learned that um, Amaya's own mother was shunned by high society, high Sri Lankan society, for running away to marry a white guy, who we also learn yeah. ends up abandoning her, going back to his own family in London, and kind of just like a lot, a lot of just bad men in Amaya's life. Yeah, yeah, lots of bad men. And this book surprisingly has a lot of women. It's a very uh, women-centered cast. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really great because they're definitely overshadowed in real life society because <laughs> as you can like as you can tell from reading the book sri lanka is still very much a patriarchal society with very conservative ideas about what a woman's place is in the world which is for them in the kitchen being a mom like education's great but that's only like a way for you to get a better husband and you're just like okay we're living in like the 2020s now <laughs> Why is this a thing? <laughs> yeah. And so Amaya decides to that she has to stop this wedding. And she's willing to go as far as it takes. Uh, and sets off to, to return home to Sri Lanka. And I guess that's that's the setup, right? And then the rest of the book is her attempting to reconnect with Kavi, attempting to stop her wedding, and attempting to get it together enough to like be a functioning person in this really like cutthroat um, world of Sri Lankan high society. Yeah, because she has a bad reputation in society already because her mom uh, was pretty much a single mom because like we, like we said, uh, her white husband left her and it turns out that he already had a family in England. Whoops, forgot to tell you when we got married. <laughs> and... Um, she and because Amaya was considered bossy and very outgoing as a child, uh, people in that society were just like, oh, she's a troublemaker. She likes being with boys and she's a bad influence. And you kind of get a sense of like, huh, okay, something terrible must have happened because that is definitely not the Amaya that we see now as an adult. She is skittish. <laughs> and when she's confronted, she is unable to like stand up for herself. She kind of like freezes. And yeah. Yeah. And we learn it all stems from an incident five years ago uh, where she ends up staying with Coffee's family while Coffee's not there. And there's a lot of rumors surrounding that as well. Like people saying that Amaya had an affair with Coffee's father and how like she probably had an illegitimate like child with him and i'm just like hmm well there's this third daughter who is adopted i mean that could be her child (laughs) but it was a red but there but there was a twist to that i did not know i thought i was being so smart saying like oh yeah that's definitely her kid she definitely was pregnant and was at uh kavi's family home during her pregnancy (laughs) see i did not catch that but i did fall for the maybe they did have an affair you know um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that turns out to be a red herring. And we'll talk more about that later on when we talk about the reveal. But like, there's all this tension around her. Um, it's obvious that Kavi's mom hates her guts for some reason. And oh, we forgot to mention that she received an email from Kavi inviting her to the wedding, which sets off this whole thing, right? Which gets yeah, the she idea says like, head. oh, her family actually wants to see you. Like, I know that we've had like a rough, patch but it would be wonderful if you came to my wedding it is the most important day of my life (laughs) and you're just like wow this is so sincere and as soon as amaya gets to kavi's family house kavi's mom is like what the fuck are you doing here (laughs) like i told you to stay away from my family like there's no way we would invite you to this wedding and i'm like yeah that that was kind of strange (laughs) that uh she got this invitation out of nowhere yeah and so, yeah, so since we're at the wedding now, um, this is where the 
the character roster opens up, right? We're introduced to so many new people, the aunties, the house guests, the the help, the um, wedding dress designer. The wedding dress designer. And you know, all of these characters are also given their chapter, their intermission chapter with the investigator. And how did you feel when you found out that they were all just red herrings? I mean, I figured that they would be red herrings <laughs> because um, all of those witness testimonies, like people people like to think that they're so smart, you know? <laughs> so obviously, you're everybody's an unreliable narrator. So it's like, okay, pretty much I'm going to take this as a red her- herring all over the place. <laughs> um, it was fun, though, to read all these, like... I don't know if it was fun. It was fun slash annoying, right? It's fun because it's annoying to read about all of these self-centered people talking about themselves while being called in to um, answer questions for an investigation, right? Like Auntie Josephine, who was like the auntiest of all the aunties, um, her intermission chapter is just half her talking about herself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I listened to this book on, um, I, I listened to the audiobook of it. <laughs> And there's three narrators. So there's one for Amaya, one for um, the investigator for the transcript parts. And then there's one for um, Kavi, I I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it like was so funny to me because um, Auntie Josephine, when it's her turn to be interviewed, she has like the most British accent ever. <laughs> Like, like, it's like the most Queen's English you can get. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she would do this. She would show off her class and education by being yeah, like, she was I... The, yeah, she was yeah, the one yeah. who was saying, I don't understand why they sent coffee to America. What's wrong with London? I mean, that is... We see that in Crazy Rich Asians, too. <laughs> like, there is, like, an Anglophile um, fascination with uh, these Southeast Asian countries. And it's like weird how colonialism has kind of uh, warped that generation's uh, uh, perspective on themselves. Yeah. Um, What did you think about, was it Laura or Lauren? Laura, right? The the house guest? I think it's Laura. I don't remember. (laughs) I just, in my head, I'm just like some white girl who... (laughs) She was like a different flavor of self-centered, but very like, very dramatic. It was like I was annoyed but intrigued, right? Yeah, the the white girl who like constantly asks you questions about your culture and be like, that doesn't make sense. That's so weird, and then just kind of steamrolls you over. Oh, when she was saying how she didn't understand how you can eat curry for breakfast, and I was like, that sounds great, actually. I would like curry for uh, breakfast. I was like, you're here at this lavish wedding. You don't get to. You don't get to complain. Yeah. Um, I never suspected her of of being the killer, but it was funny to like see her arc wrapped up in the fact that she was actually a corporate spy sent by her father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has their own agenda, which made this uh, book really fun to read, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but at the wedding, the first, it, the first big party, it was, I don't know what it was, but it was like, welcome to the wedding guests party. I don't think it was actually like a... It was a cocktail party, like a cocktail It was like a cocktail party of some sorts. But um, this is where Amaya is like, okay, I'm going to plant the the evidence to show that Spencer is a bad person so that Kavi's family will throw the wedding away. And I thought the plan was just like, so great because it relied on the gossip uh, tendency, gossiping tendencies of the aunties. And I'm like, yeah. of course, it's the aunties that will like spread that information like wildfire. I love that she used auntie tendencies for her own nefarious purposes. I love that she targeted Auntie Josephine because she's the biggest gossip. And it was kind of sad that her plan A didn't work because Auntie Josephine decided to be discreet for once in her life for the first time (laughs) once in her life it did remind me of crazy rich asians because uh there is that scene in in the wedding where uh the grandma finds out that uh this is from the movie actually i think the in the book it uh 
came out differently. But in the movie, the grandma finds out from a police investigation or a private investigator's investigation that uh, Rachel's dad is actually not dead. He's in prison <laughs> and she's an illegitimate child. And I was like, huh, okay. Yeah. See, I'm like, I'm nothing is worse in Asian grandparents and parents' eyes than um, your future husband or future spouse being an illegitimate child and also having a criminal as as a parent. Yeah. As an- <laughs> in this case, they find out Spencer's parents aren't dead. He's not an orphan. His father is in jail and his mother is a drug addict, which is the worst thing to happen to Kavi's mother. But they all get over it. They all decide to sweep it under the rug because... As we learn about the Fonseca family, image is more important than anything else. So they cannot let this get out. So Amaya's plan A doesn't work. Um, Then she moves on to plan B, which is talk to Kavi, right? Yeah, talking to Kavi. Which even she admits she probably should have done first. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even get to say what she wants to say. Yeah. Like, it just kind of blows up in her face. She's just like... You shouldn't be marrying my ex-boyfriend. It comes out wrong in, like, the worst way possible. (laughs) And Kavi's like, I freaking knew it. I knew that you came here because you were jealous. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, this is some lifetime movie, like, (laughs) drama that's happening right now. I love it. Right. And then so she attempts to stop the wedding. She has plan, plan B. Plan C. Well, plan C. No, she doesn't get plan C yet. Plan B point two like plan b 2.0 is her trying to destroy the wedding dress to stop the wedding um but unfortunately coffee has a backup dress that she wanted to wear anyways such a rich person (laughs) rich person thing right and so she moves to plan c which is murder um and then this is when you find out the truth about the incident five years ago right that Nadia, the youngest sister, turned out to be her daughter, but the father was actually Spencer. Yeah, that was a real twist. That was that surprised me. I did not see that coming. And the whole point of stopping the wedding is really to protect Nadia and Kavi from Spencer. And and that she did not really plan to murder her best ex-best friend. The murder target was actually Spencer. Yeah, did you like, did you expect Spencer to be an abuser? I expected him to be a gaslighter because I feel like Amaya, I mean, Amaya's entire life is just being gaslit by the people around her, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I expected him to be, like, emotionally abusive, but I didn't, I guess, I didn't see the signs that he was, like, a con man gaslighting abuser until it was, like, revealed. Um, how about you? Um, I kind of knew what was up with Spencer. I was like, he's super sketch. And like, what can you possibly do to make someone want to murder you for real? Like fly across the world, bring a knife to a wedding. Like, what did he freaking do? And I was like, okay, it's probably someone who is emotionally manipulative. And that's kind of when I, I, I kind of guessed that Nadia was... The love child, quote unquote, love child between Spencer and uh, Amaya. And I thought that was like a pretty good twist because the entire first quarter of the book, you're like, oh, my God, Amaya is painted as like this uh, obsessed ex-girlfriend who is jealous of her insta-perfect former best friend who is jealous of her life and success and then it's like all of a sudden it's like flip. You're like, actually, no, she's a good friend. She's <laughs> coming here to stop her friend from making a very, very bad mistake. Yeah. And to protect her uh, child from an, a pedophilic, uh, a pedophile, pretty much. That part was a that part was a twist. I was like, I thought <laughs> he was just an abuser, but apparently he's a pedophile on top of that. Yeah. Just we see the signs. If you go back and reread all the, the sections where she talks about Spencer. They're all there, right? Like, the first thing she ever mentions about Spencer is describing him as the man who who broke her life into pieces. And then throughout the book, whenever she encounters Spencer, she subconsciously tries to fix herself up and questions herself if she looks good enough, right? And without the proper context, may seem, like, obsessive, like, she's not over him, she's still in love with him. 
but looking back, those are all trauma responses, right? <laughs> From like years yeah, of being under yeah. an abusive relationship. Yeah, I thought there was there was a scene where it's the same cocktail party and Amaya runs into Spencer and Spencer all like flirtatiously kind of like leans in her space. But there's a moment where he like blocks her path by putting his like uh, hit palm on the wall. And I was like, that's a really like menacing gesture. And that was like the first part where I was like, huh, maybe like he's not a great boyfriend, ma- boyfriend, fiance material. There's something going on. That was like the scene where I kind of had like my first inkling. But I thought it was so funny that he the line that he says, it's like, oh, I always knew that I was right. Or, or he says, oh, I was right. She does go mad at the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. That was ugh, slimy and and just, the worst. It's yeah. it's like grosser when you think about it after you finish reading the book. You're like, oh, he's like telling her that she's crazy. And what a fucking jerk. <laughs> yeah, he deserved what uh, became of him. But halfway into the book, we change into Kavi's POV. And I thought that was like very, very in- intriguing because I was just like, huh. The voice is very different from what I thought uh, Kavi would actually sound like. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's kind of a commentary on just internet personas and, like, influencers and, like, the things that they sell, right? Like, we talked about how, you know, when you're on social media, much like, you know, when we're talking about big weddings, it's all about putting up a front. It's putting up, like, displaying this perfect life. And what goes on behind it is a lot of, like, meticulous planning, um, and yeah. I, you know, I like how Kavi was saying things like, oh yeah, I would never use these products on my face. They're full of chemicals. Like my secret is lots of rest, facial treatments and like money, pretty much money. And, and like working out every single day. <laughs> and I love the fact that she's like, yeah, I'm rich and I'm privileged and I got like a head start. However, like I worked my ass off and, <laughs> and it's like not everyone can just like build a charity from the ground up, even if they had daddy's money. And I was just like, wow, that's a level of like <laughs> girl boss, right? Uh, just just total girl, girl bossing boss. that I absolutely <laughs> freaking hate. <laughs> like Kavi was my nemesis throughout this entire book. I was like, you represent everything I hate. Like about yeah. the internet. <laughs> I think when and rich people. When the um when the perspective switched, like much like your perception of Amaya changes throughout um throughout her the first like I want to say it's almost two thirds of the book is Amaya's perspective, like you immediately like flip your perspective on Kavi too right she goes from being like someone who needs to be saved to like kind of maybe one of the worst people in this book, um, kind of like you're like oh she's a total sociopath um. Because she know she knows what to say in front of the aunties to like smooth things over. She's all about image. She's the one who's pretty much like making sure that her family is shown in the best possible light. And I kind of I had the feeling that she was kind of sociopathic throughout the book. Like my theory that got totally debunked by this section of the book was that she just as how Maya is fiercely protective of Kavi, she was fiercely protective of, of Maya, that she was actually like the, you know, we learn about Amaya's, one of Amaya's early high school boyfriends who dies in a car crash after leaving her house. And then the whole situation surrounding her, like literal shotgun wedding to Spencer, right? Her ex-boyfriend who like, who was terrible to her. And I, I was thinking maybe Kavi is like her protector and like she secretly murders all these people because she's obsessed with her best friend. That was what I was thinking before we got into, um, oh, she's just a spoiled rich girl. I think I think your version of things would make a good book, though. <laughs> it just wasn't this book. But I really did like her uh, character development. Yeah, I mean, I think it was because I was thinking about the, because the marketing draws parallels to Gone Girl. And so I was thinking, okay, there's obviously something like kind of obsessive about Kavi as well, right? So that's where my mind went. <laughs> I really wish I didn't get pitched 
um, this book wasn't pitched to me as Gone Girl meets Crazy Rich Asians because the Gone Girl part really spoiled a lot of things for me. Because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, Kavi is the girl who is missing. So she planned her disappearance. <laughs> I was like, I wish no one pitched it, put, pitched it to me as Gone Girl meets Crazy Rich Asians. It just kind of gave it away. <laughs> and I mean, like, even if it wasn't pitched to me like that, I feel like just from the get-go of me knowing that influencers, they do meticulous planning. Not everything is at, as it seems. It's all manipulation, uh, filters. It's like, yeah, 100% Kavi, like, planned her disappearance. But is she dead, though? Because you don't know. <laughs> She's just missing. Yeah. And I like that. I like that this, the switch in perspective gives you her side of the story, which is that everything is pre-planned, that this isn't a relationship. Like, she she actually is marrying Spencer because he corners her into it, right? Like, she takes advantage of her shallowness, of her, like, need to appear perfect in order to get her to agree to marry him. Like, she, like, like he literally proposes to her in the most public space possible. Which yeah. I think most sensible people don't actually like that, right? They don't like big public proposals. I feel like most failed proposals are the really public ones. Like the uh, kiss cam on uh, <laughs> at like baseball games, you're like, oh, that's yeah, that's not a great way to propose to someone. <laughs> Unless your partner is someone who loves attention, that kind of thing, right? Like, like for most people who like aren't public personas, I feel like it's a shitty way to propose to someone, right? Yeah, because it's about. It's supposed to be, like, about the couple, right? About your time together. And then when you involve, like, an audience, it doesn't feel genuine. And, of course, this proposal wasn't genuine because (laughs) Coffee wasn't dating Spencer in the first place. Yeah. The whole deal was like, hey, um, so I'm proposing to you because, like, you kind of need to marry anyway because you're kind of going into the expiration date for brides and your mom wants you to get married like as soon as possible so i'm helping you out here (laughs) i'm like that's so like you think you're the hero mister i don't think so there's a there's a separate agenda here it's probably money because she's rich i mean we do find out that he is a con man right and his father was a con man like a big part of this story actually a theme is that like all the main characters in the story, you know, Spencer, Amaya, and Kavi all kind of repeat the mistakes of their parents, right? Like Amaya gets broken by a douchey white man. <laughs> Spencer is a con man like his criminal dad. And, you know, Kavi becomes literally becomes her mother, a sociopathic, like high society woman, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a recurring theme. It was it was pretty eerie. To see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think one character we have not discussed yet is the character of Tahani, who is the middle sister, um, Kavi's younger sister, who is like the rebel, right? She's like the black sheep of the family because she, I mean, I'm not going to go as far to say she's like a completely good person, but she's the only one in the family who like cares about doing the right thing. I, I guess so. I... She is definitely better than her the rest of her family. I will say that. <laughs> is she a good person? I don't. I don't know. She kind of pretend. She pretended to be a different person to get close to Amaya in like the weirdest sociopathic way. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's still a gaslighter. <laughs> she catfished her. Yeah, she's still a gaslighter. She, she's still a catfisher. But in terms of like her motivations were to protect her family. Like she wants, she's the one who's trying to do things the right way. Like she's the one who, like, if she took over the family business, would like probably fix things, right? Start paying people good wages, set new policies to like improve way of life for workers. Like, uh, and that's precisely why she is not on that track. I mean, the other cast of characters that we see are the quote unquote the help. So we see Sipa who is pretty much the housekeeper of Amaya's uh, old house. And she was kind of like the nanny. And her servant mother, too, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and like serving her mother. And then you have, um, I forgot the girl's name, but she used to work for the uh, Fonseca's family, but she got fired. And uh, she, in, in her transcript, she was pretty much saying, like, I prefer working as like a maid at this hotel because at least they're not tricking me into thinking that I'm family. And oh, yeah, she only appears like, in, in that transcript piece, right? Does she only appear in that transcript? Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> However, I was just like, this is a very knives out scene, in yeah. my opinion. Which makes me think, when the chips are down, I feel like Tahani would still default to like protecting her privilege over anything else, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like, she wants that money to start her fashion line. <laughs> It's like um, that situation of just like, oh, I really hate, I like, I really hate the way the high society works, but it works in my favor. So I'm just going to take the money and shut up. Yeah. All right. So now that we've gotten to it, um, what did you think about how everything shook out at the end? Okay. So pretty much Amaya breaks into Kavi's room with a knife and you think, this is like right before it changes to Kavi's POV. Mm-hmm. So you think that something went down in Kavi's hotel room. But it turns out that Amaya isn't there to kill Kavi. She's there uh, with the knife because she knows that Kavi will not listen to her unless she has, you know, leverage. And you find out that uh, Spencer was abusing Amaya for years in their on and off relationship. And after... When they, when they graduated from college, Amaya begs Kavi, like, hey, don't tell Spencer where my new address is. Like, don't do it no matter, no matter what happens. But Kavi ends up being charmed by Spencer, and she tells um, Spencer uh, Amaya's address. And this is when their friendship is broken pretty much forever. And... I thought it was really, it was like a really good scene, you know, because they're planning out like how Kavi can get out of this wedding, which she's been trying to get out of since the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just like, okay, I know he's a con artist. However, right, cause she's been investigating him too, right? Yeah. She's like, however, how can I work this to my angle? And after so many lies, she's like, this guy needs to go. Like, that's the final straw where she's like, he abused my friend? Like, hell no. Okay, we're going to figure out how to get out of this wedding. And this is when they planned the disappearance. And she tells Amaya to punch her face. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was a scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then when the perspective flips back to Amaya, you realize, or she realizes that the plan isn't going the way that they talked about. And then... She figures out where Kavi is and sees her there confronting Spencer with a gun, which, you know, she's been a, a side plot in this story is like Amaya has been trying to acquire a gun throughout the entire story and wasn't able to. So she ends up with her a kitchen knife. But, you know, Kavi's rich, so she, no problem acquiring a gun, right? And then what happens is there's a there's a scuffle to confrontation and Amaya ends up with the gun being attacked by Spencer and shooting him dead. Oh, we forgot the we forgot a very major character, a major plot point, which is um, so Kavi. She finds out that there is a discrepancy in her father's business accounts, and she's like, "What the hell? It looks like someone has been like pilfering money from my charity and also like the business." So she goes to the accountant, and the accountant is just like pretty much blowing her off, being like whatever like you're you're a girl like you don't know what you're you don't know what money is blah 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 spoiled rich daughter so she gets him fired but it turns out that he really needed his job because his wife was sick with cancer sick with cancer and needed the uh business insurance business health insurance to get the best care for her and shortly after he was fired and after they got put out of that insurance and she had to be put into a government funded hospital his wife passes away. So this guy is pretty much stalking Kavi for real, showing up at the wedding, threatening her, and you're just like, okay, this is a suspect in whatever happened to Kavi throughout <laughs> the book. 
And he shows up because Kavi had staged it that way. And uh, he... It's like he shows up and she pins the murder on him pretty much at the end. And I was like, okay, that's a very neat way to tie up your loose ends. But also I feel also very icky, right? Because it's like, okay, you're using it's you're using at that moment where things were kind of like, okay, like, yeah, you're using an innocent person's grief to cover up your own murder so you can get out of. A wedding. And the reasoning she gives Amaya is, well, I didn't want to look like a victim. My brand is being a strong, independent woman. Right? My brand is being a girl boss. And I was like, I fucking hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, Amaya goes home afterwards, resolved to put everything, her past behind her, that, that she's literally killed her demons. And then, you know, flies back to Los Angeles as a new, more competent woman and calls up her, <laughs> you know, her her BDSM buddy to meet up for drinks, um, which is something that she would never have done beforehand. The end. Everyone happy, happily ever after. The end. There's nothing suspect, um, no ulterior motives from anyone else in the entire story, right? Yeah. And you think that the book ends there, but then there's one more chapter and you're <laughs> like, what? This was like... It was simultaneously the ickiest chapter, but also the best. It's the chapter where I kind of like, I kind of wish everyone just had their comeuppance in general, right? I wish there was one more chapter after that where they all get caught, right? Um, this, no, of course not. They're rich people. <laughs> and I They'll think They'll never get caught. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of wish... So the last chapter is a conversation between Kavi and her mother where it's revealed that her mother was actually behind all the mysterious things um, behind Amaya growing up because because we, we learn about like a teacher who was like maybe too close to Amaya and then the ex-boyfriend who mysteriously dies while driving home. And we realized not only is Kavi's mother behind those two disappearances, she did it because Kavi was actually the one sleeping with those two men. Yeah, and like um, Mrs. Fonseca is saying... Kavi, you sleeping around with Amaya's ex, uh, Amaya's boyfriend, you would have been ruined forever. And I'm like, that's enough to ruin a woman's reputation, a girl's reputation forever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like ironic because, um, you know, Spencer was Amaya's ex-boyfriend and she was about to get married to him. So I'm like, oh, history repeats itself. But then, and then she, and like, and yeah, they have this, like, this conversation where, well, I was doing it because you wouldn't shut up about me getting married. And then her mother kind of just does the Asian parent thing where she's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, she was like, uh, like, Mrs. Fonseca is like, why did, it's like, see, if you had married a nice Sri Lankan boy, like, earlier in your life, you never would have gotten together with Spencer. And Kavi's like, the reason why I got with Spencer in the first place was because you kept pressuring me to get married. So, and then you find out that Kavi, she's like, oh, if it didn't work out with the accountant, I was just going to pin the blame on Amaya. And I was like, wow, that really shows your true colors right there. (laughs) Yeah. And, And the fact that she thought, okay, the net positive is Amaya is my friend again, which in any other story would have been like a sweet moment, except that it's couched in like this very like transactional type of like thinking. Right. But even though it feels like, even though it is kind of like transactional towards the end, their friendship was real. Uh, I really like the fact that uh, it goes into how they were really tight friends when they were in grade school And, like, in college, like, this breakup was – this friendship breakup actually impacted Kavi. Uh, Kavi was very shy before, and she relied on Amaya for a lot of things. And once their friendship broke, uh, she actually really tried hard to get Amaya to speak with her again. Like, there was actual heartbreak. And then she turned into an Instagram influencer (laughs) – Um, And that was like her way of getting the validation that she used to get from Amaya. And it was just like a way to make her feel good. And, you know, that's a commentary on social media itself. Like you feel like you need validation all the time and this is the easiest way to get it. Um, 
And I just really like the fact that this was about a friendship that, you know, went wrong. And in a way, it's a way to, like, find closure. Um, I feel like there aren't enough books about, like, friendship fallouts. And I feel like those are more painful than romantic fallouts, uh, in a sense. And we don't really get that many stories out of it. So I really like that. Uh, yeah. That Amanda chose to delve into that topic. Yeah. If there's one thing I wish this book had more, it's maybe just one more chapter where we get that eat the rich ending that we all crave in today's society. Uh, and we talked about the knives out um, vibes that we got. And the one thing that I think we didn't have was like a compelling investigator. And that's by design, right? Mrs. Fonseca had her husband hire a third-rate security company to do the investigation so that it wouldn't like get out to the police. But part of me kind of wished, much like in Knives Out, we had like an investigator who was actually good and figures everything out. Um, because then we could have that ending where like everything blows up. But you know, that's that's just me wanting these rich people to um, eat shit, right? <laughs> yeah. But this book is about privilege and how people wield it and how the rich are horrible and they can get away with anything. So having that kind of ending would have just kind of um, been co- contrary to the whole <laughs> theme of the book. I mean, there was that one moment when Amaya figures out where Kabi might be, um, but there's like a guard in her way. And she decides to whip out her own privilege mm-hmm. to get past him. And I thought that was a very, like, you can see how much doing that is something that she does not want and does not, like, is so, like, upset at herself for doing. Right? I think that's yeah. the, that's the yeah. I think that's the biggest, like, difference between her and Kavi is, like, she she hates that she can do that. Right? Whereas Kavi kind of just rebels in it. Yeah. Like, her her privilege was... Her using an American accent and pretending not to understand uh, the guard and being like, yeah, I'm like I had an education abroad. So technically I'm better than you and I could like call your boss and pretty much get you fired. Yeah. And that was pretty much the privilege card she used. And I've seen people use that privilege in Korea. Like I've seen like (laughs) international. Okay, like this. This is where I was just like. Wow. Like flashbacks, war flashbacks. But I've definitely seen um, kids from international schools who did not grow up in America, by the way. They like went to school in an international school, learned English from like American or British teachers or Australian teachers. And when they're at restaurants or in difficult situations, they like pull out the accent, the, their fake accent, and they're like, oh, I don't understand. I'm a kyopo. I'm a foreigner. And I'm like, how fucking dare you? You're <laughs> not a foreigner. You're. It's like, this is why I fucking hate you. <laughs> because, like, you don't, un, it's like, you don't have to go through the pains of being part of the diaspora, but you're cashing in on that, like, benefit fucking sucks rich people suck (laughs) yeah but in this book they get away with it which they often do which you know i think i think amanda did a really good job portraying that privilege and how how rich people live in different world than we do they care about different things and they're willing to do whatever it takes to maintain that which isn't that like just how we are where we are right now in this current political day and age I will say that it was it was pretty wild to read this book while um, Sri Lanka has been on the news about their economic crisis <laughs> and how like the country has like food and gas shortage and it's pretty much like a humanitarian crisis over there while you're seeing like all these rich people in Sri Lankan high society like going to parties and stuff. And you're wondering, how the hell did they get to these parties? There's no fuel in the country. Like, how are they operating the same way they used to? And it was just, like, a really interesting experience to read this book uh, while most of the country is in shambles. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, it starts, I mean, I take it back. I wouldn't say it starts off slow, but it starts off like very uncomfortably because you spend the first like quarter of the book wondering if you even like this protagonist, right? Like she does so many things that is off-putting. Um, but then Amanda definitely makes you feel like an asshole for even thinking that by the end of the book. Um, because like I said, like, out of all the characters, Amaya is probably the only one that's like trying to do the right thing at all times. Yeah, and she is a victim of a very abusive relationship. So you do feel really bad for yeah. having that judgment on her. And she doesn't even like gain much at the end, right? She gains peace of mind. She gains like She got away with the murder of I guess, her yeah. abuser. Which, and I think that is like pretty much every victim's fantasy. You know, <laughs> but isn't that wouldn't that also be a little traumatizing, though? I, I mean, I'm sure. But at the same <laughs> time, it's like you killed your monster. Yeah. Yeah. Like how many people get the chance to do that and have closure in their lives? Yeah. And it would have been a really sweet ending if it wasn't couched in <laughs> the fact that um, her friend's still kind of a manipulative, sociopathic, rich person. Well, I hope that, you know. They just stay friends at a distance. <laughs> Nothing like an ocean between friends. Oh, you know she's frenemies. still following her with three different accounts, right? Oh, no. She turned a new leaf. <laughs> she might have just deactivated those accounts. Mm, that's true. They can actually be public friends now, which yeah. which is nice. I'm happy for Amaya. Yeah, I hope she, she is able to move on. Um, I hope she's able to use her... N- her renewed rich friend privileges. You know, if your friend's going to be awful, use her money. Mm. Get get that money invested in your spice shop and, <laughs> you know, really just live your life. They You, you deserve a compensation for all the terrible things that they put you through. Yeah. Anyway, that was our discussion of You're Invited by Amanda Jayatissa. Like we said before, we've talked to Amanda before, um, her debut book, My Sweet Girl, on this podcast. So check that out if you like this book and like this discussion. Yeah. Um, and if you have your own thoughts about You're Invited and want to share that with us and the rest of our listeners, um, please let us know on our Goodreads forums. Um, we always love to hear our listeners' thoughts on the books that we read, and we appreciate the engagement. Um, but with that said, um, let's move on to Spooky Month 2022. Um, Rira, what is our book club pick for October? So we are reading The Hole by Hei Young Pyeon, and it is translated by Sora Kim Russell. And this is also a thriller, but it's slightly different. I would say this is a little bit on the scarier side. I would say it it, it leans more towards horror. So I hope that it fit. I hope that it's fitting for Spooktober. But anyway, <laughs> it is a bestseller in Korea. It is a psychological thriller about a man who wakes up from a coma after a devastating car accident that took his wife's life and left him paralyzed and badly disfigured. His caretaker is his mother-in-law, who is a widow grieving the loss of her only child. And he is neglected and left alone for the most part. And and he feels like his caretaker, his mother-in-law, is up to something. So it is a very sinister, uneasy, claustrophobic read. And it's also very short. I would say it's around 150 to 200 pages, depending on what format you get the book in. But I'm excited to read this, even though I probably will have nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I think this is um, this is probably our first horror horror book, right? Like we read a lot of ghost stories. See, but... that's the thing. I don't know if it's a horror horror book. <laughs> I just know that it leans more towards horror, okay. but it is a thriller. Mm. We're not reading like The Ring, for example. <laughs> that would be straight up horror. I don't know if we ever will read straight up horror on this podcast because I do get scared quite easily. Sorry, that might be a Patreon thing in the future. I'm not doing that for free. <laughs> Sounds good. 
All right. Well, looking forward to discussing this book with you at the end of October. Again, um, for our listeners who have finished the book and wants to share their thoughts with us, um, please let us know on Goodreads. We always love to hear from you and we would love to include your thoughts in our discussion as well. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper.